Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. All right, all right. How are we doing this morning? Feeling good? Feeling good? Cool. All right. Well, hey, we, uh, we've been regathering uh, for uh, a little over a month now. Uh, I think maybe you've heard of something called COVID that kind of sent the world into uh, total uh, chaos. So I don't have to tell you that some churches stopped meeting for a while. We uh, weren't meeting for a while. We were doing uh, house churches and, and meeting on Sunday nights and a lot of things. And so as we've uh, started regathering, uh, we're making sure that we're having conversations uh, because we know that there are a lot of people that are new, a lot of people that got connected during uh, COVID, and we want to make sure that we have a general understanding of, of who we are as a church and uh, what our DNA is. And so we've been having conversations about worship, been having conversations uh, about serving, about groups, and just what we want our DNA to be. And so I want to continue uh, that conversation today just uh, real quick. Uh, we're going to talk about something that we've never shied away from, but I think some people think is awkward. So uh, we, want, we want to talk about giving, and we want to talk about finances. Just real quick here. Uh, at the the top of our message. Uh, We believe wholeheartedly, and we see in scripture, uh, God says that your heart and your finances are connected. And so we think to not talk about uh, finances is to not talk about the heart. And we know that God cares about our hearts and wants them uh, positioned toward him. And so I want to uh, just real quick, bring us up to uh, speed today and and let you know some of the the ways that our, our vision and our budget connect. So every year our elders get together uh, with our staff and kind of uh, say, all right, what does God have ahead of us in the next year? And uh, as, we, as we kind of chart the course and as we know, we usually uh, set our budget as best we can to, to help us accomplish that and help us get there. So some years the budget goes up, some years the budget stays the same. Uh, this last year was one of the years that the budget stayed the same uh, just because uh, when COVID first hit, everyone in America started watching online church and giving one up in churches. And last year, uh, people kind of got disillusioned, not just at Movement Church, but at, at literally the American American church. And so we saw giving go down uh, in a lot of places. That's okay. You don't have to hit the panic button. Nothing, nothing too bad because expenses and opportunities were down. And so we were all right uh, last year. But now that we're back, I'm back, you're back, we're back. Uh, we want to make sure that we're all on the same page and we kind of understand, hey, this is who we are as a church. This is where we feel God has called us. This is where we're going, and we want to kind of talk about that. Uh, so, so if you've never seen our budget, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up a, a little snapshot here, and you're going to say, Mark, I can't read that, and I don't like pie charts. And here's my promise to you, all right? This is available to anyone uh, that goes to our church. Our books are not hidden, uh, but there is our, uh, our, our budget, uh, our, our pie chart for the year. Our annual budget is 625000 and uh, that goes toward uh, execution of Sunday mornings. That goes toward groups and discipleship and Bible studies. Uh, that goes toward our, our outreach presence in the community, everything from our work in Haiti to church planting uh, and all the different things that we get to do. Uh, just so you know, our, our monthly need, that kind of breaks down to uh, around $52,000 uh, over the last 12 months. And so the reason uh, that I mention that is, uh, like I said, I, I want you to know that over the last 12 months, uh, we had this, this target in mind. And we kind of knew, like, hey, we don't, we don't think we can hit that target because we're in COVID and just times are different, times are crazy. Uh, but we believe that we are coming out of that. And so we wanted to have a family conversation today and put that need before you. 
Uh, I know that some people are like, man, that's really awkward. I hate when pastors bring up money and we're like, well, we, we don't think it's awkward or maybe I'm just so awkward I don't know any better, right? But we believe this is a, a shared responsibility amongst all of us. We think this is something that we care about. Uh, like I said, this is the money that gets to take care of people in our community. This is the money that goes to Haiti as we talked about last week. This is the money uh, that helps uh, support our staff that's able to keep us on, on task and, and keep our vision happening. And so... Um, we just want you to, to know this, this total, right? The last couple months, we've seen an, an uptick. Usually, uh, the cold months are the months that carry us for the year, and the warm months are so-so. And so we think we're in a good spot. We're trending up. Uh, but just wanted to put that before you and let you know as you're thinking about that, as you're praying about that, uh, as you're deciding what you're going to give as individuals and families, we want people to feel like this is, is something that, that we can own together as a group. And so I just wanted to make you aware of those two things. Uh, and the other thing that we wanted to talk about, uh, obviously, as we talk about giving, as we talk about uh, money, I keep getting questions. People are like, hey, what's happening with the capital campaign? What's happening with the building? And some people are like, what capital campaign and what building? And that's exactly why we want to have uh, this conversation. If you don't know, last spring, uh, we launched our first ever vision and capital campaign. We called that Movement is Coming. You can find that on our website also. But we said that we believe the time uh, is now for us to kind of look at the next phase of Movement Church. We own uh, 13 acres out on Walker Road across from Bradley High School and Memorial Middle School. Uh, and as we've kind of been uh, here at the Y for a while and outgrowing that, we, we believe that God is calling us to build a building out there and that will help us reach families uh, and reach the community and also have better visibility. And so we uh, uh, got together uh, last year for, for a month. We talked through this for, for four weeks and we said that we had a goal to raise $1.2 million. Now that giving uh, was, was money that people would give above and beyond their normal giving. Uh, and, and God really showed up and, and, and everyone responded and we actually saw $1.9 million raised. And so we've been in the process of working toward that building and I think sometimes people are like, all right, but I don't see a building yet. So what's going on, Mark? And so we wanted to uh, communicate. Obviously I mentioned this thing called COVID. You've heard of it. Uh, it's, it's kind of turned the, the pre-construction industry uh, upside down on its head. Uh, and so uh, there were times that you could submit building plans to the county and they'd be back like an hour later. Now it's looking different. Uh, we, we submitted once and they sent them back and they said, hey, can you get rid of four parking spaces? And we were like, yes, we can get rid of four parking spaces. We can do that, right? Uh, so we did that. Uh, but even as, as far as it, it looks with, with subcontractors and things, you know, it used to be you could call some up and say, hey, I want to give you money to help me build a building. Do you want money? And they would say, yes, what a fantastic idea, right? Now you call someone up and they're like, ah, we're super busy because we were off for a year and a half, or we've got more things in contract. So as an example, uh, we've been filing septic plans and water well plans, uh, and we had to be in touch with nine people that drill wells, different contractors, because they were like, yeah, I don't really need another project right now. And we were like, but we have money to give you. Do you want money? And they're like, nah, it's hard to say. We don't really want money, right? So um, the, the whole industry, honestly, I'm not trying to joke too much about it, but it's, it's been wild. So, uh, you know, it used to be you would go and get bids. Our, our general contractor could go and get bids from subcontractors and those bids would be good. And it's just a matter of assembling them all and being like, let's go with this electrician. Let's go with this guy. All right, here we go. And now the, the prices of everything is changing so much that subcontractors are only guaranteeing their bids for 30 days. And so by the time you get a, a bid from this, this guy, this guy's bid has already run out and this guy's bid has already expired. And so we're navigating all of that. Um, but I wanted you to know that we're working as hard as we can, uh, as much as we can to, to advance the ball and, and make this, this building go. And the cool part is 
We're not even a year into that campaign, a three-year campaign, uh, but already a third of the money has, has already come in that, that people have pledged. So thank you uh, for your faithfulness. We are trying to do as, as much as we can. Uh, one of the, the coolest things that I guess that, that we can announce, we, uh, we sent our, our plans in this week for the, the pre-engineering of the steel and the beams, and so we're hoping to hear back uh, in a couple of weeks and, and have that stuff ordered as we secure loans. Uh, the goal is, is still to secure the loan, to get all the materials, to, to break ground, in the spring and be working on that. But up until that time, lots of pre-construction work uh, that'll be done. And so the reason I I mentioned that, I think people have been like, all right, what's going on? But I also want you to know that that is a prayer request, right? Because uh, we're talking to all these contractors and they're like, this is the weirdest it's ever been in in 30, 50 years. You know, things have never been like this. And so we really believe that this is a, a prayer request uh, something that we can be praying about as a church. We have the money and we're doing the things that we think, but we, we don't control the timeline. Uh, half the steel companies in America don't have access to steel right now. So even if you wanna give someone money, it can be a, a tough time to, to order a building and build a building. And so we wanted to just update you today, let you know that your, your money is being put to, to great use, that we're seeing growth and we're seeing progress in that, but it's still going to be a prayer request and, uh, and, and so I wanted to just take a moment and maybe pray for that process this morning as we get going here. Pray for that building, pray for the timeline, and pray that we'll still see the impact uh, that we want to see God have. So let me, uh, let me lift that up. Thanks for letting me have an awkward conversation with you all and talk about money. I hope it wasn't, hope it wasn't too painful. God, we, uh, we just thank you for this morning. And Lord, we, uh, we thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. God, thank you for the ways uh, that you bless us financially and materially. And God, we want to to worship you with the things you've given us. We want to respond to your goodness and and give back to you and and worship to honor you. God, we've seen that happen uh, in our our daily and weekly giving. We've seen that happen in this capital campaign. And God, we want to continue to be faithful as a church. And so I pray that we will take that serious and feel the the responsibility and and Lord, just the, the potential of that. And God, we just, uh, we lift up this building process, Lord, so many things that, uh, that we don't control. And Lord, I feel like that's a, a lesson that I learn about every uh, three weeks that I'm not in control. God, you often point that out to us and let us know that you are in control. And so, Lord, we lay this at your feet from uh, the timelines to building materials to, uh, to, to subcontractors, Lord, and all of these things. God, we see, we see movement and we see progress, uh, but God, we want to remain dependent on you and and looking to you. And so we do that. God, we give you this process and we pray that our eyes will be on you as uh, as we walk through this. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for a chance to be together. And Lord, we pray just that we'll be devoted to you and and looking to you as a church. Lord, thank you for the tool that uh, that finances can be sometimes, Lord. They, They get to our heart and they cause us to do that and remind us to do that. And for that, we say thank you. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, well, the, this morning we're starting a, a new series on the Gospel of Mark. We're taking a look at the life and the ministry and the timeline of the life of Jesus through the lens of Mark. Some people are asking, did you pick this gospel because it's your name? I didn't. In fact, around the office, uh, people like to make fun of me and say that it's the weakest of the gospels, which I think is an outright terrible thing that no one should ever say, and you could get struck by lightning for saying that. But I just wanted to let you know that we have some terrible people that work in our office. His name's Trig, if you're wondering. And he loves to make that joke, all right? So uh, I'm excited because the, the different gospel accounts kind of give different perspective of the life of Jesus. And so 
So if you were to ask my high school friends, my college friends, my wife, my parents, my brothers, hey, tell us, tell us a little bit about Mark, you would get different perspectives on that. I probably don't ever want you to meet my high school or college friends. Uh, even my parents could be pretty embarrassing, but my brothers and, and my wife might be able to tell you some things that I'd, I'd want you to know. But there would be different perspective and different angles on exactly who I am. There'd be overlapping uh, occurrences, overlapping events, and, and kind of the same ethos, but, but there would be different perspective, and that's really what the, the Gospels give us. And so the Gospel of Mark is known for, for being kind of quick and kind of straight to the point, kind of gets at the things that, that you need to know, but also talks about Jesus being the, the suffering servant and, and also very much emphasizes that he's the son of God. And so what I love about this book, although people make fun of it, uh, this, is, this is the original gospel. This is the, the first gospel that was written. They think it was written uh, before 70 AD. And so when this gospel was compiled, when this gospel was written, there would have been people who lived through the life of Jesus. There would have been people who remembered the life of Jesus in these events. And so... If, if there was something untrue or something embellished in this book, people would have been like, no, 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 I was alive for that and I remember that. Probably similarly, uh, maybe to, to 9-11 for us now. When, when research is done on that, people are like, yeah, I remember that, I was there, we know people uh, who were there and so we remember that well. And so uh, this book has some credibility even in a, in a reporting sense. And so this fall, uh, this year, we're gonna be giving some, some, very, uh, some very good attention to the Gospel of Mark. We're gonna be talking about this on Sunday morning we're going to be doing a section of this in the fall, a section of this in the spring. Obviously, as you know, that echoes over into movement groups and obviously even into our men's and women's Bible studies. And so this is uh, something that we want to be parked in. We want to talk about for the fall and for the spring. And we want to challenge people, uh, if you're spending time in God's word, maybe spend some time reading the gospel of Mark. Spend some time uh, meditating and, and just studying this and see what God wants to teach us. So we're going to read this morning, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Uh, it's on page 761. If you've got a Bible there, uh, maybe under your seat, if you saw one there, page 761, Mark chapter one, verses one through 15, it says this. Uh, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. The spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. 
If you know uh, the, the life of Jesus, you can probably immediately get what I'm saying there when you say like Mark just sometimes says things very quickly and, and summarizes them. There are other gospels that talk more about Jesus being in the wilderness and being tempted and Mark's like, hey, I'm gonna give that half a sentence. We gotta move on. We got a lot of stuff to say. And so Mark uh, is pulling no punches right out of the gate there. In fact, in verse one, he says, this is the good news. The gospel is the good news. The word means good news. And so Mark is saying, listen, everything that I'm about to say after this is good news. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and this is why Jesus matters. This is why Jesus is going to change your life. And he's saying that right out of the gate. Not just that, but he says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the word Messiah would have been the translation of, of the word Christos, and so we often hear Jesus called Jesus Christ, and we kind of think like, all right, that's not a normal name, but I guess he's the son of God, and so that, that's good. But when Mark would have been saying this, this is the first time that this would have been said as he was quoting John, and so when John was saying Jesus is the Messiah, this was a big deal, because the, Israel, the Israelites, the, the people of God, had been waiting on the Messiah for hundreds of years. The Old Testament had said, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. Be looking for the Messiah, the Messiah is coming. And they would have known that, and so when all of a sudden someone comes on the scene and is like, hey, I'm not the Messiah, but he's, he's coming here soon, that would have got their attention. And as if that wasn't enough, he doesn't just say, Jesus is good news, Jesus is the Messiah. John the Baptist goes on, as Mark tells us here, to say, this guy's the son of God, all right? So I don't know maybe who your coolest friend was from back in the day, but my guess is, as you describe them, you've never said that about anyone, right? That would have got people's attention. If you want to freak people out sometime, you should say that, but probably don't, because again, you could get struck by lightning, like I already said. So John the Baptist is saying this. He's saying, this is the Messiah. And people are like, oh. And he's saying, this is the Son of God. He goes on in verse two to say this. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And so the term son of God would have been something that got people's attention. But honestly, as you said that, people might have heard like, oh, so he's like an angelic being or, or something good. And so Mark is like, no, 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 I, I don't think you're still getting this, right? He said, hey, this is good news. Hey, this is the Messiah. Hey, this is the son of God. But he knew that the people of Israel would still be like, nah, we've heard this before, we've seen this before. But they would have known this prophecy right here that he's quoting. This would have been a famous work that, that they had been known, that the kids had been taught in school, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And so when the Gospel of Mark is quoting this, they're pointing to John the Baptist and they're saying, this is the messenger that you knew was coming and he's preparing the way for the Messiah. Mark is telling us that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the voice Here's that passage from Isaiah 40, and you'll see the, the obvious similarities. It says this, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So since Mark is equating John the Baptist to that messenger, 
and the one who's preparing the way, it means that he's equating Jesus to being the coming Lord. So it's one thing to say good news, it's one thing to say Messiah, it's one thing to say Son of God, which they might have been like, oh, he's an angel or something, but when you say, no, 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 this guy that's been talking about Jesus, he's the messenger, and this Jesus is a game changer. That's what Mark is processing and putting together. I would equate it to this, I like to talk about basketball. I think most of you know that, right? If I start talking about LeBron James and I say, LeBron James is really good at basketball, you're like, yeah, he's pretty good at basketball. If I say, hey, LeBron James is uh, one of the best of all time, you'd be like, yeah, that's cool. If I even say, hey, he's the best player in the NBA right now. But if I start saying, hey, LeBron James is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, middle-aged white men start getting worked up because it attacks their, their king from when they were little, right? They're like, no, 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 it's Michael Jordan, right? And so instantly, I can say one thing, there's some tension, I can say another, but if I say Michael Jordan is not the goat, it changes some perspective in the room, right? That's what Mark is doing here. He's saying Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just some angelic thing that's coming around. He's saying, no, no, this is the son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the one that we're going to prepare the way for that Isaiah has been telling us to look for. This is what we've been waiting on. Verse five says this. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." And so those first couple verses there are saying that the Messiah is coming. They're saying uh, that baptism is one of the ways that people are going to prepare for that. It's talking about repentance. But what does repentance mean? Verse five says that as people hear this message, they're readying their hearts, they're confessing their sins, they're being baptized in the Jordan River, and that might not seem like a big deal, but for the Jewish audience that's hearing this, this is absolutely a huge deal because a major part of Jewish worship and culture was these different cleansing and rituals and things that they would go through to be ready to talk to God and be in the presence of God, and so they would have known that, and the Jews would always make non-Jewish people that they called Gentiles go through these cleansing and go through this process. But Jews never really had to go through that process because they considered themselves God's people. They had been called God's people and they considered themselves good enough. And so when someone shows up on the scene and says, hey, none of us are good enough. None of us are clean enough. None of us are prepared. We all need to be ready to talk to Jesus. We need to repent. We need to get ready and to do that, we have to go through cleansing. John's ministry was shaking things up because he's saying we're all unclean, we all share sin, we all have problems, and everyone needs to be baptized and address that need. He was signifying first that your your pedigree, your moral record, your family, your stature, none of those things matter. None of those things are, are enough. We're all lost together. And he was saying that everyone who's going to know this king, everyone who's going to know this Messiah, everyone who's going to know Jesus is going to have to be saved by grace to enter his kingdom and to be a part of his kingdom. And he said, listen, there's going to be a new era, a new covenant. There's going to be a a newness to this kingdom of God and people would have to understand that this covenant was being formed and being made and they would have to be ready 
You can see why John the Baptist was such a a problem rabble rouser, right? He was a guy who was just making people uncomfortable because he was going against Jewish culture and he was declaring that everything they knew and everything they had seen from the Old Testament was only pointing forward to some other things that they needed to pay attention to. And he even said this. He said in verses seven to eight that the one who was coming, not only was he not as as great as him, John was saying, I'm not as great as Jesus. He actually said, I'm not even good enough to stoop down and, and tie or untie his sandals. And so he was saying that to, to put a, a gap there, to put some stature there. John doesn't just say, listen, actually, I could, I could serve this guy or I could, I could help this guy out. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not even worthy to talk to this guy, to be around this guy. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And so he's saying the Messiah who's coming is a game changer, is a big deal. And when we look at him, when we address him, if we think about our relationship to him, we're going to have to be in service to him. We're going to have to be completely his. We're going to have to be surrendered to him. We're going to have to understand that we're going to acknowledge that he's our absolute Lord. And we need to think of him that way. Verse nine says this. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. There's a few places uh, in scripture where we can see the presence of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together. We can see the Trinity together, and this is one of those places. Another one is in Genesis when God said, let us make man in our own image. God is referring to himself in the, in the plural there, and so we know that he's talking about the Trinity one one part, three persons, the three in one, right? In this section, we see God the Father is here and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. When Jesus is baptized, we're seeing the power of God. We're seeing the power of the Holy Spirit. And similarly, for, for you and I, we know that when, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we are sent into ministry and sent on mission, we are made sons and daughters of God. And so God, in this moment, tells his son, listen, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with Jesus. And this is kind of foreshadowing and talking about the same thing that is available to us. The same sonship, the same daughtership, the same relationship that's available to us when we surrender our lives to Jesus. And also the same power that we're given when we're given the Holy Spirit to walk with us. This means that we're children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This means that we're given a Messiah And this means that this isn't some secret because we've seen this by the example in the life of Jesus. Verse 12 says this. The spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. I think it's so cool that right after we see Jesus in the the presence of the Trinity, and we see God declaring, that's my son, I love him, I'm with him, I'm pleased with him, that we then get an account that Jesus goes out into the wilderness, right? We're told in scripture that Jesus can empathize with the life that we live. It's hard to understand, but he was fully God and fully man, and so the things that he lived, the things that he experienced in this human life, he knows what our, our life is like, and he knows the things that we've been through, And even when you're a son or a daughter of God like we are, or on a whole nother level like Jesus, 
the son of God, you're still going to go through wilderness moments and you're still going to go through desert moments and yet as a son and a daughter of of God, God is with us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to walk with us. We are his sons, we are his daughters, we are known and we are cared for and we are seen. I love that that reminder is kind of just tucked away here. It goes on to say this in verse 15. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That last sentence kind of gets at everything that we can take home from these verses. Everything we need to know as we start into the book of Mark and the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus because right there very clearly the essential message is this. First, hey, there's good news. Life is going to get you down. Life is not perfect. Some of us are like, yeah, I know that. I walked in in the rain today. Life's not perfect, right? Well, yeah, this is, this is just kind of an admittance of that. Yes, life is not perfect. We are sinful people. We are lost. We are confused. And this world is not perfect. But something has happened in history that changes all that. Because we're told that the kingdom of God is near. And the thing that's happened in history is God. This king himself has come into history. And there can't be a, a kingdom without a king. God is about to come and, and set up his rule, and that's what's being talked about here. And so we have to wonder, all right, what does that mean for us? And it says the way to relate to this king and to his kingdom, the way to understand this king and his kingdom and to get ready for his kingdom is to make ourselves worthy. But the way we make ourselves worthy is not how we normally think of it because we have to understand that there's nothing we can accomplish, nothing that we can do. We actually have to repent. We actually have to admit our sin and believe in the king. So every week we try to give a big idea for people to to walk out of here and hopefully remember at least one sentence, something that was said, and verse 15 kind of says it in a jumbled up way, but this is it. This is our big idea. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is what Mark wants the world to know and this is what John the Baptist was preparing the way for and this is what Jesus came to announce and this is what we want us to know today as a church. Jesus often said, repent of your sins and turn to God. There's quotes like that in all of the gospels and if we take that phrase literally, it means if a king is coming, if a kingdom is coming, you wanna make sure that you're right with that king. If you're not prepared to meet that king, you want to make sure that you're at peace with that king or that that king likes you. And so when repentance is mentioned, the word repentance actually means to turn and to face the other way. If you've had opposition with someone, if you've had awkwardness with someone, if you've been at at odds with someone, you want to make sure that things are good. And whether we know it or not, we're at odds with God because there's sin in our lives and sin in our hearts. But God doesn't want us to be at odds with him. He doesn't want our sin to separate us from him. And so he made a way that we could prepare to enter into this kingdom, that we could prepare to talk to this king. And Jesus says the way to do that is by repenting. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that we all need to repent. But Romans 6.23 says this. The wages of sin is death. And yet the gift of God is eternal life. Because while we were still sinners, while we were still separated from God, while we were defined in our sin and lost in our sin, Jesus came and gave his life to usher in the kingdom of God. And he made a way to pay the price for our sins, to erase our sins, to remove our sins, and to make it so that we could be right with the coming king. 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The scriptures go on to say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because God wants to show us grace and Jesus came and gave his life on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And most of us don't like the thought of someone else covering our way or paying our way and we try to fight against that, but that's what the new kingdom is about. That's what the new covenant is about, that there's nothing that we can do. There's no cleansing, there's no baptisms, there's no way that we can earn our salvation. We just have to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, and that he's paying the price for our sins. We're accepted not because of our ability or merit, but because of the sheer grace and repentance that we can show. And we live out the kingdom of God, this upside down principle every day when we live for Jesus. So what's the the big picture of this this passage today? The big picture that Mark is getting at, what he wants us to know is this, that, that there's good news, that God himself promised that he would come, that there was good news of victory, and Mark's gospel is about that victory, and victory's name is Jesus. Jesus came to solve the problem of sin, to save us from our sin, And then the next question that we have to address is how should we respond or how will we respond? I love that the the gospel is called good news because news is something that is is just in our face and makes us make a decision, right? Ohio State won yesterday so we can talk about them. Last week it felt, you know, last couple weeks it felt a little iffy. People were emotional and still getting over things, right? But I've talked to people before that are like, yeah, if Ohio State loses, I just, I can't go to church the next day because people won't even want to be around me. I'm just, I'm too upset. And I'm like, all right, well, that's probably a bit much. It's a hobby, but maybe you should talk to a counselor or something, right? But, but that's, that's how people in Columbus sometimes are, right? They, they say just like, man, if Ohio State loses, I can't even, I can't even talk to anybody. They can't, they can't handle that news. They're faced with the news, hey, the team that you thought was everything is not that good this year. Sorry to burst the bubble, right? And, and then we have to decide what we're gonna do about that news. Are we gonna be depressed or are we gonna say, eh, it's a game, I'm gonna get on with life. News demands that we make a decision and good news demands that we make a decision. I don't have to tell most of us that we're lost, that life can be difficult, that life can at times feel trivial, and at times we we know that that something's not right in our lives and in our hearts. We know that and we feel that, and whether we've always had language to put around from that, scripture tells us and Mark gets to the point, hey, the reason you feel that, the reason that life is difficult, the reason that you're sometimes weighed down is because there's sin in your life and sin in your heart, and you're separated from God. You were created to know God, and you're not living your original purpose. You're not living how you were created to live. But God doesn't want you separated from him. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus, and by trusting in his death and trusting in what he did, You can have a relationship with him and you can know peace and you can know love and you can be found and you can be his son or his daughter and you can be with him for eternity and you can rest in him. That news demands that we react to it, demands that we make a decision. We can deny it, we can get mad about it, we can say we're not gonna think about it or we're gonna look the other way, but we have to make a decision because news is in our face and this is good news. This is the Messiah This is the son of God. 
And throughout history, God has been preparing a timeline and preparing the way and using people like John the Baptist to say, hey, if you've been lost, you need to know Jesus. If you've been feeling like you're separated from God, you need to know Jesus. If, if life's been getting you down, you need to know Jesus. So that's the question I wanna ask today. Do you know the good news of the gospel? I hope you do, because I just spent 20 minutes telling you about it, so maybe I did something bad if you don't, but I, I say that to, to, be, to be serious. Do you know the good news of the gospel that you need Jesus? that we can stand on scripture and scripture is saying this happened, this is real, this is the life of Jesus, this is the sacrifice of Jesus, and this is going to change your future. Do you know the good news of Jesus? But not just do you know that, what are you going to do with that news? Because some of us hear that Ohio State lost and we're like, well maybe if I go down to my man cave and just cry and cuddle my football, I can pretend we're still a top three team, right? We, we deny that that ever happened. What are you going to do with the news, the good news of Jesus giving his life? Have you repented of your sin? Have you surrendered your life and say, Jesus, I'm leaving my old life behind. I'm turning to follow you. I'm walking with you. You control my future and you're my everything. Come into my heart, come into my life. Let me have peace. Let me be your son or daughter and let me walk with you. Not just do you know the good news, have you made the good news your operating system? Have you said the good news is my marching orders and I am now an apprentice of Jesus, I'm following Jesus, I'm walking with him? What has been your decision of this good news, the gospel? And for those of us who know the gospel, for those of us who know the good news, for those of us who would look at this and say, yeah, I already knew that, yeah, I've read Mark, I've read Matthew, Luke, and John, I kind of know all the Gospels. I'm not new to this Christian thing. I think a question that we could ask is, how is the Gospel changing your day-to-day life? Because if you know the Gospel and you're surrendered to the Gospel, here's a way that we could put it. The Gospel should be in some way changing your life or complicating your life. I had a friend ask me this week that had no kids. They're like, why did you have four kids? Did you just want your life to be crazy? And I was like, yes, that's exactly, exactly what I wanted, right? Sort of, not really, right? But we were joking about the fact that kids change your life. If you have kids, if you have a dog, if you have a job, when you wake up in the morning, those things are on your mind, they're on your heart. How does your job change your life? Well, you have to work when you wake up. How do your kids change your life? Well, there's people touching your face, first of all, when you wake up. And then second of all, you have to make them breakfast, right? Or if you have a dog, you hear your dog whimpering, you're like, all right, let's go outside, right? When there are things in your life, the presence of someone in your life changes your life. And so for those of us who would say we are followers of Jesus, how is the gospel changing your life? Is it changing the way you spend your time? Is it changing the way you look at people? Is it changing the way you talk to people or view people or share good news with people? Is it changing your budget? Is it changing your giving? How is the gospel of Jesus, the good news that we would say we've trusted in and surrendered to, how is it changing our life or complicating our lives? And that's what we can know, that's what we can take home, that's what we can see in the gospel of Mark. Mark was making it very clear as he's shouting this. He's direct, he's straight to the point. He's saying, listen, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I wanna pray for us this morning as we close. 
and offer a chance for people who have maybe never made that decision. If you've never heard the good news of Jesus, if you've never heard that even though life isn't perfect, even though life is messed up, even though we're separated from God, God made a plan and God made a way and Jesus came to give his life for us. Maybe you've never known that or seen that or heard that. Maybe you've never made that decision to surrender and trust in that. That decision is a a simple decision today. It's profound, but it's simple. Scripture says very clearly, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you don't need a pastor. You don't need any special thing. You simply need to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner who's separated from God. You came and gave your life and I trust you. I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you and I want to live for you. If you want to make that decision, you can, you can say that to yourself right now. Jesus, I need you. I want to trust in you. I give my life to you. If you've made that decision, we want to help you put down roots in that decision. We want to help you put down an anchor in your life and grow in that decision and grow in a relationship with Jesus. If you want to talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to have a relationship with him, we're going to be back at the next steps table and we would love to talk to you. I know and I trust that there are people in this room today that need to make that decision that God's stirring in their heart. Maybe they're talking to him right now. Let's put an official stamp on that. Let's make it official. Come back and talk to us at the next steps table. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you remind us of your plan and of your kingdom. God, thank you for John the Baptist preparing the way and thank you for the gospel of Mark making it obvious that you sent your son and the kingdom of God is here. God, help us to live the gospel, to represent the gospel, to view you as king, to make sure that our lives and our our daily function is about repentance and about operating as your sons and daughters because the good news is here and Jesus, you have changed history. Help us to be a church that represents that. Help us to be people who represent that in our families, in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, and in our relationships. Lord, we want to surrender to you as king, recognize you as king, and glorify you with our lives. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. 